Uh, we are in the middle of a series called You Are Here, talking about the journeys that we take in life. And over the past few weeks, we've talked about how important it is for you to look forward to the future and how it matters who you're bringing along with you and that you take in all of the sights as you're along your journey and how those moments can cause us to worship and to put us in a bigger picture uh, and perspective in life. And uh, I've told you about this crazy trip that I took one time uh, to, uh, to China and to South Korea and uh, over into Japan and to New Zealand. And um, I wanted to tell you about one of, the, uh, one of the times that I was there in China by myself and the team was, was kind of hanging out and we decided that we wanted to go out to dinner with a guy who was kind of hosting us. And he took us to this restaurant, and it was a, it was a very, very, very nice restaurant. And so he said, well, I'm just going to order for you, and um, don't, don't worry about anything. We're, we're going to go ahead and go. And, uh, and so we're, we're circling around, and we're, <laughs> and we're doing this stuff. And I'm just kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on my phone, and I'm just not really, you know, paying attention. And don't really know what's going on, and I look up, and they're like, all right, here's the food, and I look up for my food, and the table has been filled, and it's a spinning, rotating table with like 40 different dishes on it, and I was like, oh boy, and I'm looking around, and I'm like, I don't see mashed potatoes or fried chicken or pizza anywhere on said table. This could be, we could be in a lot of trouble. And so I'm like looking, I'm looking, and as I'm sitting here, a soup comes by, a bowl of soup rotates by me, and out of it is a duck's head. And we had all made this, this pact together, because when you serve on mission trips and when, when you're going to another place, if someone offers you something out of their kitchen, it is polite and respectful to consume whatever it is uh, until you either get sick or you eat all of it, right? And so um, we all looked at each other like, we're all, we're all doing this? We're, you know, like we all see the duck and we're, and we're like, we're all doing this. And so uh, I did not have any of the duck head. I did have some of the soup. Disgusting, but that's fine. That's a whole nut. You're probably not surprised with duck head soup. Uh, that it was very gross. Uh, and so we, <laughs> we, that was, the, that was the, the day that we got back. When we first started the trip, here's what kicked all this off. We walk down these markets. Now, as you're getting to know me, I love a really good bargain, a really good deal. And so we're walking down these uh, open market streets, and we're looking at stuff, and it's like, oh, there's like a, uh, oh, is that a DVD player? How much is that? It's like, holy smokes, 400 It's like, no, 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 that's like $6 in United States dollars. I'm like, oh, okay, this could be my place, right? We're going to save a lot of money. And so we're, we get to the food vendor portion. Those have been like a county fair or like the Covered Bridge Festival. You get to the food portion of it. And there's all these things. And it's like, oh, wow, okay, I don't want to try I don't even know what that is. I'm not going to try that. When we get and we turn the corner. And as we turn the corner, the table to the right has only what I could describe to you as what looks like a greyhound dog. And four of them laid out. And there's a roast pit going on behind him. And I was like, oh, okay, I don't need to look at that. I mean, like, I have two dogs. I'm a dog person. I'm like, I don't need to look at this. So we go back. The gentleman who was hosting us was kind enough to get a leg of said animal. And he's like, you've got to try this. You guys all have to try this. And we looked at each other like, are we doing this? Oh, no, we're doing this, right? So I'm like blocking out the mental images of my golden doodle. I don't need that while I'm sitting in this room. And so 
They're like, just tear a piece off. I'm like, yeah, just tear a piece of dog leg. Okay, and so <laughs> tore a piece off, and I was like, if you ever had dark meat turkey or chicken, that's essentially what it tastes like. But don't think about that while you're eating that. Uh, it was a very, very interesting situation that I had found myself in. And I'll be honest with you, you know, I take students on mission trips, and we would serve in soup kitchens. We would tell them, hey, listen, if someone offers you food, eat that food, unless you're allergic to it. And there's always that one kid's like, I'm allergic to water. So it's like, <laughs> okay, I get it. That's fine. All of this to say, right, that there's cultural differences that exist when you go into other places, places that are foreign to you. If you've traveled, not even necessarily outside of the United States, but in different pockets of culture across America, there are different things that you can experience based on where you're at. In fact, there's an old phrase that uh, says, when in Rome, do as the Romans do, right? So when you're in another culture, you should experience their culture where you're at. And as we talk about being in a journey and from here to there and wherever you are, it's important that we talk about how you and how we as followers of Jesus should engage the culture with the gospel as we live out our days. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 17, because there's a really, really important passage I want for us to look at uh, that I think is really uh, mindful and speaks to this and has something for us to be able to learn about as we talk about what does it look for, for us to engage the culture as we go about our journeys, our spiritual, our physical, mental, emotional, uh, all of those journeys. So we're going to start in verse 17 of Acts chapter 17. Uh, it says this, it says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, now this is not a fic- fictitious or fake scenario Athens. You can get in a plane and land in an airport, and you can go to Athens, Greece to this day. It's not some made-up scenario or situation. This is Athens. He's, he's here. Uh, he was deeply distressed when he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with those who worshiped God, as well as in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. And some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also debated with him. Some said, what is this ignorant show-off trying to say? So Paul's in the middle of his journey. We know just from this a few verses before that he's waiting on Silas and Timothy. And as he's there in the middle, he kind of hits pause point of his journey, waiting on his two brothers uh, in Christ to do their thing. He looks around at the city and it says, very interesting phrase, it says that, well, that he was deeply distressed when he saw the city was full of idols. One translation that I read said that his spirit was provoked, that he looked around and he saw what the people were doing and how they were responding, and something in him stirred up that I need to respond to what's going on. And see, Athens during this time, specifically when Paul was writing, he is sitting in the peak of culture, intelligence, education, and is a major world port where Every world religion and every group of people comes together, and you can experience them there because of where he's at. He's not in just some random city, but he's in a major port for culture and education. And even the people he talks with, it says the Epicureans, these people were heavily interested in talks of 
divine things and deities and people that could be and things that could be worshipped, but specifically, there was a really clear disconnect between man and God and how they could never really coexist together. Now, that's important because what Paul is talking about to them is actually the very opposite of what they believe. They don't think that man and God could ever exist or connect to each other. And Paul comes on the scene and tells them, in fact, there's a person named Jesus who is both man and God. And it says here in the very end part of that that little passage that they call him an ignorant show-off because it's so ridiculous what he's saying. Let's keep reading because it's going gonna, it's gonna to continue on this conversation because he's talking about and he's speaking to the culture. And others replied, he seems to be a preacher of foreign deities because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So they took him and they brought him into the Oropagus and said, may we learn about this new teaching you are presenting because what you say sounds strange to us and we want to know what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners residing there, they spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new. So, Paul has a pretty captive audience. He goes into this city while he's waiting. He looks around and he realizes that the culture that he's in will allow him to have conversations and to talk about specifically the resurrection and the person of Jesus because he knows these people are a captive audience because that's what they're into. He's not forcing a conversation. He's not shoving anything down anybody's throat and saying, you need to sit down and listen to what I have to say. These people are genuinely interested because that's who they are as people. And I think it's important to notice that in this time, that this place, that where it's at the center of education and culture and intellectual thought, the gospel of Jesus has value and creates interest when it gets talked about. Let me say that again. The gospel of Jesus still has value in a highly intellectual environment that he's in. Now, when we talk about engaging the culture wherever we are in our journey, there's this thing that some people have talked about over the years that if someone's going to choose to follow Jesus, they have, they have committed intellectual suicide because they've just chosen to have faith, and faith are based on emotions, and it's just a crutch for people to follow Jesus and to say that they're a Christian. And I couldn't disagree with it even more because there's this side of following Jesus that Jesus, when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind, your thoughts, the way that you engage things and the way you think about things. And so it's not just a matter of feelings, but rather in a, an intersection of faith and intelligence, the gospel holds strong and some would say even gets stronger because of how it gets revealed. And I love that his conversation here with these people affords him another conversation. Now, let me pause here for a second. Uh, You are probably uh, in this moment, if you are someone who's visiting the church for the very first time, or if you're coming back to church because you've been away from church for a while, let me just say these next few moments, you you might might not apply to you. But I want to talk to the people in the room for just a second that would call South Union home and would say that they love Jesus and that, that they're trying to live their life 
to follow Jesus. They are, these people, the conversation that he's having, it's important to stop and look at the personal perspectives in this passage. He gets to Athens, and he starts to talk to the people who understand who God is. And then he widens out, and he has a conversation with the religious people who are welcome to and want to have those conversations. And then he goes one further out, and these are the spiritual seekers who are calling him names, and he presents things in a way that allows them to have another conversation. And here's where if toes are stepped on, I'm kind of not sorry. The church in America, myself included, over the past 15 years, 20 years, have missed out on this part of engaging the culture with the gospel. The conversation wasn't to prove anybody wrong or right. The conversation was to earn another conversation. To earn another conversation. To earn another conversation. So that in the end, when I get all the way down here, or when I get all the way down here, then I get to have a conversation about the gospel, about Jesus, about sin, about what life in Christ looks like. We have shortchanged the whole process. I meet someone, I have one conversation, and here's the moment. And it's not done anybody any good. Because we have valued being right, overvalued having a relationship with people. And that's why the church is in the state that is in with people who are far from God today. And Paul is communicating gospel truth, but he's doing it in a way that engages their life and the way that they're thinking, and it earns him another conversation to talk with them. He actually, he doesn't even ask. He just says, hey, can we talk about this more? They say, what you're talking about, we'd like to hear more about, because it engages them where they're at. See, each of these people that he goes and talks to needs to hear the gospel in a different way. I did not say that they need to hear a different gospel. I said that they need to hear the gospel in a different way. In the same way when you go to school and you take math classes, we're not teaching trigonometry to third graders because that's not going to be helpful. It's sometimes not helpful to teach trigonometry to juniors in high school because of where they're at in the process. And these people need to hear the gospel in a different way because of where they're at. And each person in my life and each person in your life needs to hear the gospel in a different way, not a different gospel. If you're someone who follows Jesus and you're, you're a Christ follower and you've submitted your life to him, then you need to hear the gospel probably through the encouragement that comes from scriptures and relationships with other people. That's the way that you need to experience the gospel. The good news is that we don't have to do this alone, that I don't have to be condemned for the mistakes that I'm making, that Jesus loves me. And then the religious people, or if I can be honest here, the used-to-be's, meaning I used to be a Christ follower, or I used to go to church, but now I don't anymore because of what I've experienced. Those people need to experience the gospel by being shown authentic transparency in your faith. Because they've left because of the show or because of people who were, uh, who were different, they were fake, they had a different personality, it was here than what was here. They just need to see the gospel lived out in an authentic, transparent, imperfect lifestyle 
of someone who's following Jesus. And then there are the spiritual seekers that are genuinely asking questions because this is all new to them. And they need to experience the gospel by having space to ask questions and get answers. And by the way, I don't know is an okay answer to give to someone who's seeking something or asking you a question about your faith. What's an even better answer is, I don't know, but let's find out together is an even better answer. And then there are the nuns. And as the guy from uh, our Wednesday night class said, we're not talking about the sisters in the Catholic Church. We're talking about the people who would say that they have no affiliation, that they are related to none of the religions that exist. And those people, well, they, they kind of need all of it. They need authentic transparency from us. They need space to answer and ask questions. They need to see you being encouraging and that your faith means something to you by the way that you handle situations. And something happened. I was reading a a book uh, a few months ago called Jesus and John Wayne, and it's not what you think it is. I guarantee you it is not what you think it is as I'm saying it. Uh, and something happened that it gets, I just want to take a pause because I think this is really important as we talk about engaging the culture. Somewhere in the 1960s, late 60s, early 70s, in American culture, conservatives got together and created this thing called the Rainbow Coalition. Now, raise your hand in the room if you were alive in 1974. Go ahead, raise your hand, raise it. Yeah, right? A majority of you were at least alive. If not, some of you may be in your teens or 20s and you know exactly what I'm getting ready to talk about. But conservative people got together, and they got together with political people who were conservative at the time, and they got together with pastors and preachers at the times, and they said, we need to come together, and we need to make a decision on this, 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 and this, and we're going to align together to get the political vote to secure people in leadership and government that line up with the values that we have. And people align conservative political views with this book, and the definition of what holiness was, and when they did, they dropped the ball a little bit. Here's what, I know. Here's, what, here's what I mean by that. We confused holiness of being set apart to mean we're cutting everything out that doesn't have the appearance of holiness, right? We're going to stop going to the bad places, and we're not going to talk to the bad people, and we're not going to do the bad things that other people do that aren't Christians. And here's what happens. People aligned and they they messed up and they distorted this view of holy, which means to be set apart. And this predominant thought happened when we said we become more Christian when we stay away from those things, and then people will see us as Christians. But that's not how that works. If you're not in the life of people who need Jesus, they don't get to see Jesus in you. That's like someone lighting a lantern in a room that's dark, people needing light, and you're like, oh, cool, we lit the lantern, and then you take it outside of the room and close the door. That's not how it works. Jesus most often asks questions when you're reading through the gospel. Jimmy Kay and I just talked about this a few days ago, is the religious people going, why are you hanging out with those people? What are you doing with that person? Why are you eating with them? Why are you having conversation with that person? You shouldn't be doing that. Because man's 
Man's version of holiness means to take away something, and God's version of holiness means to be a part of something. God made us holy by being a part of our lives, not by staying away from us. And it's when we, we look around to wherever we are with the people in our lives and the culture and the city that we live in and the county that we live in, it's when we engage the culture with the gospel that we have to make sure we're actually using the gospel, not anything else. I mean, there, there's, a, there's a song that my mom used to play all the time in church, Give Me That Old Time Religion. It was good for my father, it was good for my mother, it's good enough for me. It's actually not. This is good enough for me. Not any of this stuff from the past. What's in here? Not what a political party has said. Not what a person that I like a lot has said. Not what my senior pastor said. Not what teenagers, not what the youth pastor said. It's what this says. We engage the culture with this. Because Paul shows us that when we do that in the right way, we get to have another conversation. And then we get to have another conversation. And then we get to present who Jesus is to people. Jesus didn't remove himself. He brought people in. Flashlights in a well-lit room aren't helpful. Flashlights in a well-lit room aren't helpful. I walked into a room one time when I was doing youth ministry, and they were looking for stuff, and uh, we, all the lights were on, and I walked in, and all the high school kids had their flashlights on their phone looking for something. And I was like, is that helpful to you? Like, uh, I mean, yeah, I, get, I mean, we needed light, so I put a flashlight. I was like, the, loo- the room lights are brighter than the flashlights you have. It's not, it's not helpful, right? Like, you have to go to where it's dark or lacking light for the light to be helpful. Not at a room of that. And here's what happens when you earn another conversation. Verse 22. Buckle in, because we're going to read this, and this is, a, this is a pretty cool part. Paul stood in the middle of the Oropagus. By the way, uh, this is not only a set of uh, area, like a courtyard area. This is actually a group of the most religious elite and stoic and philosophical elite, much like the Jewish people had the Sanhedrin in Athens, Greece. The Oropagus, the group of people that met there, they were the top of the line, people who argued philosophy and schools of thought. So he's standing, literally standing in the middle of the Oropagus, and he says, people of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. For I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, and I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. Well, if it's an unknown God, how do they know to make a statue to it? Right? I mean, let that, here's how that happened. Uh, about 400 years before Paul gets to this spot, they released a flock of sheep in front of all these statues, and whatever sheep, whatever they went to, they sacrificed that sheep to that God in worship. And there were two sheep that sat down nowhere out in the middle of it, not in front of any statues, and they thought, huh, there must be a God that we don't know about. We should probably worship that God too. He says this, therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in shrines made by hands, neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. 
We sing a worship song all the time. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise to you only. He says right here, he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. From one man, he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. He did this so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Amen, Paul. Right? My heart rate is up because this stuff fires me up right here. That Paul has worked to this point to engage them in what they're thinking and how they see things. And now he gets to go left, right, left, right, hook, uppercut with the gospel right in front of their faces. And it's awesome. And perhaps what you need to know this morning, if you don't get anything else, is that what verse 27 says. He did this so they might seek God. And perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. God is not far from each one of us. God is not far from you wherever you are from here to here. Scripture just says it's simply a call of my voice. When I call on you, you hear me when I pray. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Since we are God's offspring then, we shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human art and imagination. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. Spoiler. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. And when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some began to ridicule him. Have you ever had that happen before when having a conversation about Jesus? Right? I'm sorry, what? You did what? What now? You want me to do what? But others said, hey, we'd like to hear from you again about this. Can we ask you some more questions about that? So Paul left their presence. However, some people joined him and believed. Including Dionysius, a woman named Demaris, and others with them. So why are, we, why, why are we reading this? Why does this matter, right? Because the places that we go, wherever we are, we have hope to look forward to. And the people that we go with matter a whole bunch. And the moments that we experience cause us to get a bigger picture of life. And the people that we're around, the culture that we sit in, that we live through, that we experience needs to be engaged with the gospel of Jesus. That's why we're revamping the missions team right? It's why we say all the time that Jimmy just said it from stage. It was one of the last things Jesus said to us, go to the ends of the earth and teach people what I have commanded. And there's no one better. Listen to me. Listen to me. There's no one better to reach the people in your life with the gospel than you. I'm not equipped to be able to do that, right? I mean, I I don't know half the people. I don't know 98% of the people, right? I mean, like Pam Bradley, I don't know 98% of the people in Pam Bradley's life. I'm not going to be able to reach them with the gospel, but she can because they're in her life. 
Anthony over here, when he's working his job, I can't reach those people with the gospel, but guess what? He can. He's the perfect person to do that because he knows the culture and he knows how to speak to the culture. All of you in this room, not just the dumb-dumb wearing the microphone on stage, are called to share the gospel with people in every area that we are in in our lives. We just have to choose to do it. Paul has observed where these people are in their spiritual lives, and he speaks to it, and he earns another conversation. When I was, uh, when I was 21 years old, I moved. This is like 600 years ago now, but when I was 21 years old, uh, I moved out to Arizona, and I moved to this place called the White Mountain Apache Native American Reservation. And some of you might find this interesting. Uh, when I came for my interview, I walked and I saw pictures of some of people from South Union standing in front of a reservation sign that said the White Mountain Apache tribe. I was like, I used to live there. Huh, that's funny how all that works out. And if I think I know where we're headed, we might actually be headed back there at some point as well as a church. But I got there, and uh, as I was meeting the Native Americans that were there and the people I'm going to be working with, uh, I was taught growing up as a football player and a wrestler and as a man, when you meet someone the first time, put it there, right? Like, just get in and let them know what's up. So I met this guy. I was like, how's it going, man? Great to see you. Boom. Get in that handshake. And I almost broke his hand because he was not expecting what I was putting down. And here's why. Because here's what I learned after doing that about four times. Uh, in Native American culture, uh, they shake with weak handshakes as a sign of respect and gentleness, how all people should be treated. And they don't make eye contact because it would be rude to stare someone in the eye as you're meeting them. Now, when you were raised, when you were taught how to shake someone's hand, what were the two things you're instructed to do? Firm grip, handshake, and do what? Look them in the eye, right? And I was like, what is the problem with these people? Why will they not, like, look at me when I'm meeting them? Like, like I understand that I'm, I'm like, oh, this sounds bad. I understand I'm a white man on a reservation, but this is ridiculous. Like, could we just have some respect? And then my roommate said, dude, they're never going to do that because they were taught differently and they have opposite beliefs in how we do things. And I remember that night sitting there thinking like, oh boy. I have, to, I have to restart this whole thing because I don't know what my actions are going to be perceived by them because I think it's normal, but their normal is not my normal, and their culture is a different culture than mine, and I have to become a student of their culture so that I can speak to them because I was there as a missionary to share the gospel. I have to know these people before I try and do anything else. And listen, that would be my encouragement to you as we talk about from here to here and where you are and how you engage the culture with the gospel. As the people that you're closest to become students of them, learn them, figure out how it is that you can have conversations that engage them with your spiritual life and your faith. And it's only after being around them and knowing them that we can know how to say, when to say it, and what we need to say. Because we're not presenting a different gospel we're just presenting the gospel differently to those people.
And here's how I know proximity matters in getting to know people in time. Uh, God saw his creation struggling to find a way back to him. And they had a whole bunch of systems to be able to make them right with God or holy, set apart from sin. And then he had this great plan. The way that I'll do this is I will come down to them. The way that I will make this thing work is I'll go down and I'll be flesh and bones. I will get to know them by becoming like them. And that's what Jesus did. And every Sunday morning here at South Union, we take a few moments to respond as an act of worship by taking communion. And if you're visiting with us or if you're uh, not necessarily familiar with the language that we use in church, it's simply this. We have a little cracker and some juice in this container. And when we eat it and when we take of it, we know that the cracker represents the body of Jesus that was broken for us when he died on the cross to take away our sins. And we know that this juice, when we drink it, it simply just represents and is the image of the blood that Jesus shed because he was human. He shed on our behalf so that we could find hope and forgiveness, that we could find peace and joy, and that we could find life to the fullest in ways we could never even imagine. So this morning, maybe before you take communion, maybe you just want to spend a few minutes in prayer about who it is in your life that you need to engage with the gospel. Maybe there's someone on your heart that you know that doesn't know Jesus, and you just want to spend a few moments praying for them before you take communion. Maybe the week has been crazy and you don't have a lot of answers for what's happening. You just need to take a few moments to calm your busy mind and your worried heart and to simply say, thank you, Jesus, for loving me and thank you for the cross. Whatever it is, however it is you want to respond, these next few moments are yours to do that. God, we thank you that there are faithful people who have come along before us that have showed us what it looks like to share your good news with people. But even more, we're thankful that we have good news to be able to share. The tomb is empty and that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is available to us. You hear us when we call you and you love us when we don't deserve it. And that's what we want to take a few moments to recognize here to you. We respond and we give you these next few moments as an act of worship because you and you alone are the only one worthy of our praise. It's in Christ's name that I pray.